Amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord. You know, um, we've said so many times about the tape table and book table and all that, that there's not any theory back there. I, uh, one thing I'm really excited about right now is that uh, for the last year, it's been just just a little over a year, we've been doing a podcast every week, and, and those podcasts are free for nothing. Just go to terrymines.com, and you can get a fresh one, a new one every Wednesday, and then uh, and then you can go back and get the archived ones. There's over 50 in, in the archives that you can listen to. And, and I'm so excited about those because she and I just grab a Bible and a cup of coffee and just sit and start talking about the things of God and talking about the Word of God, and I catch myself getting louder and with a higher-pitched voice and talking faster because I'm excited about it. And, and, I, and I thought we've talked so many times about back when, when my wife Jackie and I were just young and hungry and in the mission fields when they were just young and hungry. Her and Dean, her husband, uh, were just young and, and hungry and, and uh, uh, pastored there in, in Corpus Christi, Texas. You know, we'd travel to these conventions. We'd go hear Brother Hagen speak or hear Brother Copeland or go hear Brother Osteen. And, uh, and then we'd go back and look at the tape tables. We'd just kind of drool over them, you know, and say, well, we wish we could get all that stuff, but we didn't have the money to do it. And uh, now you can just, you know, you can just go to terrymiles.com and just pick up quality word, quality testimonies, quality uh, insight for free for nothing. It doesn't cost a thing. In fact, I've told people this for many, many years. If, you, if you're in one of my services and you go back there and see something that you think you really ought to have and you just don't have the money for it, you just help yourself to it as my gift to you. And if you want to send me money later, help yourself. If you don't, don't worry about it. Because my job isn't to sell this stuff. My job is to get the word out. Amen? Amen. Well, stand up with me. Let's get excited about God one more time here. And uh, get into the word. The longest I've ever gone in one service is ten and a half hours, so y'all, y'all, y'all believe God I don't do that today. Although you'd like it if I did. I mean, if the Holy Ghost fell on you and kept you for ten and a half hours, you'd, you'd be like nothing you've ever experienced before. So uh, we sure don't want to stay just for uh, just just because. Amen? But we sure would stay if the Holy Ghost decided to do something. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this great church, Lord. Thank you for Mike and Beth. Lord, they're not only dear friends, but they're tremendous pastors, ministers of the Word of God, a man and woman of faith, pastors of this church. And, Father, we honor them. We thank you for them. We thank you that they're uh, experiencing a great time as they've traveled overseas and and walking the lands of the Bible and walking uh, in historical places that... uh, that the, that the apostles and the disciples walked in. And, Father, we thank you for their safe return and their blessings. And, Father, we thank you for this service today and tonight, that you'll fall on us, that you'll fall on us. Oh, Holy Spirit, I've already talked to you about that I'll not speak of myself. Set a watchman over my mouth, that I'll not speak of myself or in the flesh. But the Holy Spirit, the greater one that indwells me, rise up big within me and think through my thoughts and speak through my lips. Minister words, they'll get on the inside of us and create faith. For faith comes by hearing the word. And as we hear the word this morning, as we hear the word on healing tonight, faith will rise in this place. Faith will rise. Faith will rise in this place. And as our faith rises, you're able to touch us at the point of our faith and do miracles, creative miracles. Thank you, Father. Signs, wonders, miracles to grow what needs to grow and create what needs to be created and destroy what needs to be destroyed. Father, that destroying anointing of the Holy Ghost fall in this place. You said the anointing destroys. You said the anointing destroys the yoke of bondage. So whatever yoke of bondage might be represented in this house, 
physical bondage or mental bondage or financial bondage or marital family problems or situations, whatever bondage is represented in this place today, the anointing of God, destroy it in Jesus' name. And then we walk out of this place with our head up and our shoulders back, realizing we're bigger than we thought we were and better than we thought we were and can do more than we thought we could do because we're Christians, we're Christ-like ones, we're imitators of King Jesus. And we can go from this place giving living bread to dying men around the world. Thank you, Father. Thank you in advance for that that you'll do. In the majestic and holy name of King Jesus, the name heaven's never failed to honor and hell's never failed to tremble at, the name of Jesus Christ the righteous. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Praise the Lord. You don't have to turn to this scripture. You can if you want to, but I'm not going to stay there. I'm just going to mention it to you and then move along. But... But but these scriptures right here are the reasons that I eat worms and monkey and dog and cat and rat and insects and stuff that I've eaten all over the world. And um, the reason I go where I go and sleep where I sleep and do what I do all these will be 50 years this coming year. And uh, they're why I get out of bed in the morning. They pump blood through my veins and they're like fire in my bones. Uh, Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9 says, Open your mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as appointed to destruction. We need to always remember as Christians that people out in the world, some of them are your neighbors, your relatives, your friends, your co-workers, but they're appointed to destruction. The day that they're born, they have a date with hell. The moment they're born, they have a destiny of going to hell. Unless a Christian, somewhere along their life, unless a Christian gets in their face and introduces them to Jesus. But if we just leave them alone trying to be politically correct or trying to be being shy or whatever else our, our excuse or reason is, if we just leave them alone, the Bible says they're appointed to destruction. Think about that. They're appointed to destruction. Their destiny is hell. Their, their future is hell. You know, every time I'm in a, a red lobster or some kind of a warehouse market or a, or a store or a, a restaurant that has lobsters in a tank and you pick out the one you want, you know, I always say to whoever's with me, I say, you know, that's death row. And those lobsters remind me of, of, of the world of sinners out in the world. They're, they're headed to eternity and don't have a clue. Isn't that right? They're headed into eternity. Their, their next stop is eternity and don't, don't, don't have a clue. And you, the Christian, you are the only hope of speaking to somebody in the world that has a date with hell and you change their destiny. Do you know you can change your destiny? You know, when I preach crusades in India over all these many, many years, and sometimes I have huge crowds, 100,000, sometimes, you know, just 30,000 or 10,000 or 50,000, but whatever, I have Hindus and Muslims. And, and in India, they have this horrible, horrible system called the caste system. And the caste system says that you are whatever your grandpa and grandma was, that's what you are, and you can't ever, ever change that. You can never, 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 never change what you are in life. It's a caste system, and you're in that caste. And if, you're, if your grandpa was a beggar, then your daddy was a beggar, then you're a beggar, and your son will be a beggar, and your grandson will be a beggar. If your grandma is a prostitute, then your mother is a prostitute, and you're a prostitute, and your daughter will be a prostitute, and your granddaughter will be a prostitute. And that never, never, never changes. And I preach, I preach all the time to them, you can change your destiny. 
You can change your destiny. You don't have to stay in, in the caste system that you're in. You can, you can break out of that caste system and you can come into the life of Jesus and be anything you want to be and be anybody you want to be. Amen? That you can change your destiny. We need to understand that we're, we're destiny changing people. People have a destiny or a date with hell, but Christians can change that. Amen, brother Terry. That's a good word. Just keep on. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Let me, I said I was going to be here a second and I got stuck there, didn't I? Um, it says, open your mouth for the dumb and the cause is all such appointed to destruction. Open your mouth and judge righteously and plead the cause or plead the case of the poor and needy. NIV says it more in our vernacular today. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly and defend the rights of the poor and needy. And then a New Testament scripture, James 1.27 says pure religion, pure religion. Now, you know, us Christians are always saying, oh, we don't have any religion. You know, we, we, especially us Word of Faith guys, you know, oh, we don't have any religion. We don't, we don't believe in religion. We, we just got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that's out of sight. Well, I, I get that. But evidently, God wants us to have some religion. And evidently, the kind he wants us to have is a pure kind. Because he says pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. He just gives us a definition. Here it is. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. In other words, visit the orphans and widows. Take care of them. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, what, what if the church's reputation were... What if that was the church's reputation? What, what, if, what if people around town, around your area, said, you know, I don't know about that weird church down there at Foothill Family Church, so they... They kind of, they raise their hands when they sing and they, they kind of talk in this funny language and they believe in laying hands on people so they fall on the floor and, you know, but I don't know about all that, but I do know this. I know that they're always taking care of widows and orphans. I know they're always taking care of the poor. I know they're always helping people. What if that was the church's legacy? What if every church had that legacy instead of the, you know, you know, some, you know, our reputation would be a lot better as a church if we were about these things. Amen. Are y'all here? I saw you advertising Samaritan's Purse while ago, wonderful organization, Franklin Graham, and that organization powerful. I'm so glad that you're doing that. This church also helps us every year. Come Christmas time, we, we provide Christmas for a bunch of orphans. Last year, we had 12 different homes in five different nations that we were able to give uh, money to. You guys sent us money. Other partners sent us money. We, sent, we gave over, what, over $40,000? to 12 different homes, 12 different homes in five different nations at Christmas. You know, those are, those, are, those are things that God smiles on and God blesses. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. You know, I was raised in church. I got saved when I was six. and God called me to the mission fields when I was 13. And pastor made me youth leader when I was 16. And then I went to the, youth, to the mission fields and lived in the jungles of Panama with an Indian tribe that didn't wear clothes. And, we hunted in the jungle for something to eat. And we shot a, if I shot a parrot, we ate parrot. If I shot a monkey, we ate monkey. If I didn't shoot anything, we didn't eat anything. And I went to, when I was 18, and I guess I've never come home because that's been almost 50 years. That was 1968, so we're, we're pushing next year to be 50 years. And uh, as youth leader, I uh, didn't really have any clue what I was doing. Like I said, I was 16 years old. pastor came to me and said, Terry, I want to make you youth leader of the, of the church. Well, our church didn't have a youth group. Hadn't had one that I know of, and uh, said, "I want you to I want you to start a youth group, and I want you to be the youth leader." And I said, "Well, all right, whatever you want me to do." I said, "I don't know how to do that, but I'll I'll give it a shot." And uh, the pastor said, "Now I'm giving you I'm giving you 
ages from 13 to what we call young marriage. Well, now I'm 16 years old. And they're giving me 13-year-olds up to, oh, back in those days, young marriage would have been 24, 25. Now I guess that would be 35 or 40. <laughs> but back in that day, people got married early. And uh, so they, were, they gave me from 13 years old uh, up to kids who hadn't reached puberty yet to, to married people with kids. Now that's a pretty good stretch, especially for a 16-year-old kid that doesn't, you know, doesn't know come here from Sikkim. And, uh, and so I've got this range of people that uh, have all kind of different needs that I'm trying to lead or pastor or minister to. So I just spent a lot of time in prayer. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, didn't have a clue how to do what I was doing. And so I just spent a lot of time in prayer saying, Lord, show me what to do. And our youth group just grew and grew and became very successful. And it grew and it grew and it grew until pretty soon we outgrew the pastor Sunday morning uh, church service. And we were just having miracles and healings and deliverance and helping people and blessing people and getting kids saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, we were having a, an explosive uh, youth group. And so, uh, and I'd get involved in these kids' lives. And, man, they were facing all kinds of stuff at school and at work, you know, and, and in marriage that I knew nothing about and raising kids that I knew nothing about. And so I'd pray. And I remember one time in particular I was on my face before God uh, for the coming, upcoming youth service. And, and I said, Lord, I need, I need you to give me a, a lifestyle. I don't need a sermon. I don't need three points in a poem. I need a lifestyle that I can preach to these kids that they can use at school, they can use at work, they can use in their marriage, they, they can use in everyday life. I mean, all the stuff they've got facing them and, and hitting them and coming against them in all these different areas of life. I said, I need a word that they can take to the bank, a word they can live by, a lifestyle, not just a sermon. And uh, whenever I said that to the Lord, he said, write this down. So I just grabbed a pencil and paper, a notepad and a pen. I've still got it today, by the way. And uh, the Lord said, write this down. So I just reached over there and grabbed this pen and paper. And he said this. He said, you can talk like God. Well, now, you know, y'all go to Mike Webb's church in, in two, you know, 2017. So you understand you can talk like God. But I'm talking 1966. Are y'all here? Nobody is talking you can talk like God. You know, there were no word of faith books. There were no word of faith preachers. There were no word of faith Bible schools. There were no word of faith bookstores. My book hadn't come out yet. If my book had been out, I'd have been all right. I could have read that. More than conquerors. Yeah, that's, that'll work. But, you know, it wasn't out. You know, Brother Hagin in 1966, I know you all talk about Brother Hagin a lot, and he was my dear friend. And uh, he, he, in 1966, he just left the Assemblies of God and started his own, started his own ministry. Uh, Brother Copeland wasn't saved yet. Are, are, are y'all here? I mean, where am I going to get any information? Rama didn't exist. Our tapes were reel to reel. You know. So resources were few. Well, not few and far between. They were non-existent. You know. Brother Osteen was still pretty much a Baptist. Talking about Joel's daddy, the original house of Osteen, not the current house of Osteen. 
And, and that's how they always build him as the Baptist preacher. They got filled with the Holy Ghost. That was his. That was his. That was his stick. And he created Lakewood Church, which of course now is the biggest church in America. But not back then. It didn't exist back then. So anyway, the Lord said, "You can talk like God." That was a weird revelation. But my, 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 was it a revelation. And so I wrote that down. You can talk like God. And then the Lord said, uh, turn to uh, Mark chapter 11. And so I turned over to Mark chapter 11. And I read from the point where Jesus and the disciples spent the night with their very dear friends, with Jesus' good friends, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. And they spent the night with them in Bethany on the morning. They got up, and Jesus said, hey, guys, let's go to church. They said, sure, boss, let's go to church. So they left Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house, started walking to Jerusalem. And walking to Jerusalem, they went right past this fig tree. And Jesus, thinking happily if he might find something on it, found out that there was no figs. And it says that he answered and said unto it. And the Lord called that to my attention there in that prayer room. He answered it what your bible says he answered it and i thought answered it answered you don't answer something unless it's talking to you right jesus answered the tree you look in your bible that's what it says mark 11 jesus answered it and said no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever he cursed it and then he just kept on going to church just kept on going to jerusalem now, you know, if you were Peter or James or John or Thomas or one of the boys, one of the staff, I think you'd have probably stopped and kind of stepped back and just looked at that tree expecting something to happen to it. I think that's what I'd have done. Maybe expect lightning to come from heaven and hit it or something. Something to happen. But nothing's happening, and Jesus is leaving. So the disciples run on up there and catch up with him. They get to church. They're kind of thinking among themselves, man, that's kind of weird. The boss is talking to a tree. Now, he's done some strange stuff already, but now, now he's talking to a tree. Now, now, the way faith works is, is that you have to commit yourself. Right? When Jesus spoke to that tree, he said, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And then there's five of the most important words in the entire Bible. It says, and his disciples heard it. And his disciples heard it. Or in the Spanish Bible, y sus discípulos los oyeron. Five of the most important words in the Bible. Why are those important? Because it tells us that he said it out loud, loud enough for these guys to hear it. He didn't mutter it under his breath. He didn't think it. He didn't just pray in his spirit, oh, Father, kill this tree. No, he spoke out loud, loud enough for all these guys to hear it. So now he's committed that something has to happen. Because if nothing happens to the tree, if they come by there in three or four weeks, there's figs growing on it. Then what's going to happen to the Jesus Christ Evangelist Association? Man, they're going to leave him. I would. Are you all here? And he just goes on. Gets to church. As soon as he gets to church, he starts running people out of the church. <laughs> kicking over tables. The Bible says he made a whip and started hitting people with it. Did y'all ever read Mark chapter 11? 
This is all a day in the life of Jesus. One day. He goes and talks to a tree. The disciples think that's weird enough. Then he gets to church and starts running people out of church and starts hitting them with a whip, made himself a whip and hit people with it. Can you say lawsuit? (laughs) Now, you know, I don't know about you, but all my life, well, and all your life is too. I don't know if you paid attention or not. But all of our lives, the churches and TV and Hollywood and anybody else has always painted a picture of Jesus as as a weakling. Just weak, meek, mild-mannered, sissified. Now I'm a Texan in Texas, we'd say he's a panty waist and a pussyfoot. Now I don't know if you can I don't know if you can say that in California or not, but anyway, uh, just just paint this picture of Jesus as this little weakling that can't do anything, just meek, mild, and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know about y'all, but I've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John a few times in my 50 years in the ministry. And then got saved since I was six. I read it a few times before I went into ministry. And I've just never found that Jesus. I've never found that guy. I found the guy that kicked people out of church. I found the guy that made a whip and beat people with it. I found the guy that said, you're just a bunch of, gen- you're just a generation of vipers, a whole bunch of you, just a bunch of snakes. I've never said that to a crowd. I've certainly never whipped people. Never run them out of church. I put many to sleep. <laughs> and I've made a few mad and get up and leave. But I've never just, you know, never had the whole crowd just get up and leave me. Jesus had the whole crowd leave him. I mean, the whole crowd got up and walked out. He turned around to the, to the staff and said, you guys want to go too? And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> We'd like to go because you don't have a clue what you're doing. That's what they told him. They said, they said, you don't know how to preach. They said, you're too hard. Won't you be soft? You win more with honey than you do with vinegar. Quit running people off. Are y'all here? He told them there were a bunch of, a bunch of tombstones. He said, you're just a bunch of... White and sepulchers. You're just a bunch of grave markers. You're just all white and pretty on the outside and on the inside you're full of dead men's bones and maggots and rot. I've never said that to a crowd. I mean, not till today. I guess I could start today. Jesus preached and made them so mad they came up to one to bite him. So they came up to gnash on him with their teeth. I've never had a crowd do that up until today. I mean, y'all may be the first bunch. <laughs> Jesus preached to them. They took him outside of town, tried to push him off a cliff. Preached to them. They took him outside of town, tried to stone him with stones. I mean, he made people mad. In fact, the Bible says he was the rock of offense. You know, we preach all this political correct nonsense today and say don't offend anybody. Jesus offended people on purpose. He was anointed to offend people. Yeah. <laughs> Do y'all ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? He was anointed to offend people. He made them mad on a regular basis. One lady came up to him one time and she said, Jesus, my little girl, she's home, she's got a devil, you need to help her. He said, go on, lady, I can't help you. What? But Jesus, no, go on, leave me alone, I can't help you. But Jesus, my baby, he said, lady, healing and deliverance is the children's bread. It's not for dogs. 
You're a dog. Your baby's a dog. Leave me alone. I've never called any lady in church a dog. Never called her baby a dog. But Jesus did. And she said, yeah, Master, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the Master's table. And Jesus said, oh, shoot, go on home, your baby's healed. Isn't that right? But anyway, he gets to, he gets to church, runs everybody out, kicks the table door, makes a whip, beats on them, hits them. Then he straightens everything back up, straightens his hair, fixes his collar, stands up and preaches. The disciples are saying, ooh, the boss is having a bad hair day, man. I mean, this is, things are not going well today. He's talking to a tree, and now he's running people out of the church and hitting on them. And then they just get through with that, and the Bible says there in Mark 11, they just went back to Mary Martha's house and Lazarus' house, spent the night again. So they walked right past that fig tree again. Nobody said anything about it. I'm sure nothing had happened to it yet, or somebody would have said something. Certainly Peter would have said something. But nobody said anything. They get up the next morning, and Jesus says, Hey, boys, I got an idea. Let's go to church. Oh, great. Okay, boss, let's go to church. So they leave Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house, walk back to Jerusalem, walk right past that fig tree again. Only this time it's dead. And notice that it wasn't Jesus that said, Thank God, guys, look, the fig tree's dead. No, he didn't pay attention to it at all. He just walked right past it. But it says, Peter calling to his remembrance saith, Master, behold, or look, the fig tree you curse is withered away. For it had dried up from its very roots, its life source, and withered and died. Amen? So God showed me this as a 16-year-old kid, Mark chapter 11. And then Jesus said, well, have faith in God. And the margin said, have the faith of God, or have the God kind of faith, or have the God type of faith, or have the God class of faith. And Jesus said, have it. Have, the faith, have, have faith in God. Have the God kind of faith. Well, the Lord said to me, he said, that shows you two things. So what does it show me? So it shows you that I have several kinds of faith. If the faith has levels, and there's a God kind. And it shows you that you can have it, because Jesus wouldn't say have it if you can't have it. So I wrote all that stuff down. And I realized immediately when God said that to me, I realized, well, I know that's true. I know there are levels of faith because Jesus said to the disciples one time they had no faith. He said, how is it you have no faith? Right? Then another time he said, oh, ye of what? Little faith. So there's no faith and there's little faith. Then Romans 12 tells us there's average faith. It says God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So everybody gets the same measure when you get saved. When you got saved, you got the same measure of faith I got and that Billy Graham got and that Kenneth Hagin got and Kenneth Copeland got and everybody else got. We all got the same measure of faith. You know, when I was in the military, I showed up in basic training and they gave us all the same stuff. They just issued it to us. Shirts and trousers and boots and T-shirts and, I mean, just all that. So they issued it to us. It's just everybody got the same. Well, that's what God did. When you got saved, you just got issued the measure of faith, the measure And then what you do with that over the years is up to you. You can either decrease it or increase it. It can grow or it can go down, right? And so I realized that there's no faith, there's little faith, there's average faith. And then I realized that, you know, Paul said, uh, or Jesus said, 
about two people that they had great faith. Neither one of them were Jews. They were both Gentiles. He said they had great faith. And then Paul made the statement and said, if I had all faith, and then over here in Mark 11, Jesus said, there's a God kind. There's a God kind. And the good news about that is, is that he said, have it. So if he said, have it, you can have it. He wouldn't say, here, have this. And he said, nope, you can't have it. Here, have this. Nope, 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 you can't have it. No, he said, have it. So it's available to us. We have to figure out how to get it. So I'm writing all this stuff down. Then I said, then the Lord said to me, he said, now turn over to Genesis 1. I'll show you what, what kind of faith I have. So I went over to Genesis 1. And in verse 3 and verse 6 and verse 9 and verse 14 and verse 20, it says, and God said, and it was so. And everything he created, except man, he spoke it into, into existence. Isn't that right? And God said, and it was Then he said, turn to Joshua chapter 10. I went to Joshua chapter 10. Here's Joshua with his army being attacked by five different kings and their armies. And uh, God's helping them and they're winning. One reason they're winning is because the angels are throwing hailstones at the bad guys. I like these angels, man. These angels are, angels are warriors and they're messengers. They're not little bitty naked babies floating on a cloud playing a harp. <laughs> little bitty stubby wings. No, these guys are warriors. And they're throwing hailstones at the bad guys. And the Bible says in Joshua chapter 10 that more of the bad guys, more of the enemy died from the hailstones than died in the war. Because these angels are up there just throwing spitballs, man. And, you know, and so uh, they uh, captured these five enemy kings. And Joshua said, just throw them in this cave and put a guard on the cave and we'll deal with them later. And they did. They killed them. But he said, I don't want it to, you know, it's getting dark. And he said, man, I don't want it to get dark. I don't want to have to stop and go to bed and start this war again tomorrow. I'd like to get finished. So he did something totally, totally unprecedented. He spoke to time. And he said, son, hold your place over Gibeon. And now I'm moving over the Valley of Agilon. And the Bible says time stopped for 24 hours. Joshua chapter 10. That's the God kind of faith. That's the kind of faith God used in Genesis 1. And then he took me on up to several other scriptures in the Old Testament, then took me to a bunch of scriptures in the New Testament, took me to where Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves and the water, and they obeyed him there in Mark chapter 4 and, and 5. And, uh, and, and, then, and, and then the people that Jesus raised from the dead, he spoke to them. Everybody Jesus raised from the dead, he spoke to them. When Lazarus had been dead for four days, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came blowing out of that grave, Right? supernaturally propelled out of that grave because he couldn't walk. He was bound like a mummy, remember? He couldn't walk out of the grave. He didn't just come strolling out. No, he came He just came blowing out. Anybody, who's been to Israel and seen Lazarus soon? Yes, here, here. Who else? Here, yes, here, here, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Well, then you can confirm this is true. Lazarus, Lazarus' grave isn't just like a walk-in closet. It, it, it's, it's a hole that, that slants downward and then there's a 90-degree turn, and then there's a shelf where the body lay. So the body lay on this shelf. And so when Jesus, and he's wrapped like a mummy, can't move his legs, can't move his arms, can't move anything. He's just totally wrapped like a mummy. And uh, when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, the power of the Holy Ghost shot him like a bullet. Amen. Around that 90-degree curve and up that chute, up that hole, just, 
landed out on his feet, and Jesus said, loose him, let him go. Isn't that right? Are y'all, are y'all with me? So he spoke to Lazarus. The widow's son from Nain, widow lost her, her son. She's going to bury him. They're having a funeral procession. Jesus walked by her funeral. Jesus and the staff was coming this way. The funeral was coming this way. Procession of death meeting the procession of life. And as they walked by, Jesus just looked at that young man up there on that funeral bar and said, Young man, I say to thee, arise. Ruin the funeral. <laughs> and then the third person he raised from the dead was Jairus' daughter. And you find that there in Mark chapter 5. Uh, and she, she is dead. Jesus walks over to her house, kicks everybody out. I mean, kicks grandma out, kicks the aunts out, the uncles out, the cousins. They kicks them all out of the house. Not even his house. He just kicks them out. Right? Because they're full of unbelief and they're crying and they're carrying on. He didn't want that. So he speaks what he wants to see. See, faith doesn't ever speak what it sees. It speaks what it wants to see. So Jesus made the statement. He said, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel's not dead but sleepeth. Well, he knew she's dead. But that's not the result he wants. He's looking at the end result. She's not dead, but sleepeth. And so he kicked everybody out of the house, and he went in, took her by the hand, said, Tell her the kumi, which being interpreted as damsel, I say in the arise, and she, she got up. So the dead people he spoke to, the wind, the waves and he spoke to, the fig tree he spoke to, demons and devils he spoke to. Satan, get thee behind me, he said. Isn't that right? And we just see that all through his ministry. Then we see it all through the rest of the New Testament. And then Paul makes the statement in Romans chapter 10. Now, all, all these places in the New Testament, Mark eleven twenty three. we haven't got there yet, but we're, we're, we're on the way. After he said, have faith in God, then he said, for whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, doubt what? Doubt the things he saith shall come to pass, then he shall have whatsoever he saith. Three times he says, say it. One time he says, believe it. So in Mark eleven twenty three, he uses the mouth and the heart. The mouth and the heart. Faith is always going to be connected to the mouth and the heart, always. The mouth's going to have to speak. The heart's going to have to believe. It's always got to be a, a unison thing. And so then Paul says there in Romans 10, What saith it? The word of faith is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, the word of faith which we preach. And then he goes on to say in Romans chapter 10 how a person gets saved. Now Romans chapter 10 is a missionary chapter from a missionary book. They're all missionary verses from missionary chapters from missionary books, but that, that's what the Bible's about. But Romans chapter 10 is especially what it's about because Paul's telling you how to get people saved. That's the point of Romans chapter 10. This is how you get people saved. And so he makes this statement. He said, now all these heathen have to do is call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? He's talking about salvation. He's talking about missions. But then he asked four very pointed questions. He said, but how can they call on someone in whom they've not believed? Question one. And how can they believe on someone in whom they've not heard? Question two. And how can they hear without a preacher? Question three. And how can they preach lest they be sent? Question four. 
So he's talking about salvation, right? And then he finishes it up with our favorite scripture, all of our favorite scripture as word people. He finishes it up with verse 17. So then we understand that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? When I say we use that, us word folks, we use that out of context, which is okay. You can use scriptures out of context sometimes and make them work for you if they're spiritual laws, and this is a spiritual law. And so he's talking about salvation, but we use it for a new car and a new house and money and pay our bills and, you know, for this, that, or the other, whatever. We just say, faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So if I hear the word of God, it's going to create faith. I can believe God for a new car. Well, that'll work. That's just not the context. The context is salvation. It'll work with the other stuff. Don't, don't take me wrong. It will work with the other stuff because it's a spiritual law. Faith does come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's a law. That'll work in anything. But the context of it was salvation. And so he ends up talking about these heathen calling on the name of the Lord and being saved. He ends up by saying, so then we see that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If these heathen hear, then faith will come, then they'll be saved. And he makes a statement on further up in the chapter and says that with your mouth, confession is made unto salvation and with your heart, you believe unto righteousness. That's another spiritual law. You can use that on money or whatever else you want to use it on. With the mouth, confession is made. With the heart, man believes unto. It's a law, Right? But all this is about the mouth and the heart, the mouth and the heart, the mouth and the heart. And then the last scripture the Lord took me to was over in James 1.26. And he said, So if any man among you seems to be religious and bridles not his tongue, thereby deceiving his own heart, mouth and heart, mouth and heart, mouth and heart, then that man's religion is in vain. Or don't let that man think he's going to get what he's been believing God for. So what you have is a scenario like this. You've got your heart and your mouth, and they've both got faith. But your mouth is the only one that can get it out. So your heart says to your mouth, Hey, mouth, you've got faith. I've got faith. We're cool on this, right? We're, we're, we're taking on the day now. We're going out amongst the, you know, we're going out in the world. So uh, uh, let, let's be cool. Don't, don't deceive me. We've got to be in agreement. Don't deceive me. And the, heart, and the mouth says, Oh, yeah, it's okay, heart. We're good. We're cool. Uh, we're going to go out and take on the day, and I'm not going to deceive you. You've got faith. I've got faith. We're, we're, we're good. And then you go out in the world, and you run into somebody that you know, and you, they say, hey, how you doing? And your, your heart says, great, healed, blessed, prosperous, Jesus is Lord. But your mouth says, oh, I'm not doing too good. You know, I didn't sleep too good last night, and I got this pain back here, and they're laying off people down to plan. I'll probably be the next one to go. And, and your heart begins to scream at your mouth, you deceived me. You deceived me. You deceived me. And you lose what you got your faith set on. You lose what you believe in God for. Because he said, if any man among you seems to be religious, bridles not his tongue, deceives his own heart, that man's religion is in vain. Are you all here? So that's what the Lord gave me. And uh, I thought it was great. Never had heard that before. Thought it was great. Took those notes, walked into youth service on Friday night and preached all that. And the congregation, big, I mean, the place was packed. Like I said, our youth services are huge. And uh, the congregation said in unison, blasphemy, crucify him. And I tell you, pastor called me back to the office. And I went back 16 years old, back to the office with the pastor and the deacons and the elders and my mama. 
They set me down, Chip, and they told me what a bad boy I was. How dare you? How dare you say we can talk like God? Because the way I ended the service was, now, from this point on, we're going to have to talk like God. We can't, we can't just talk out of the top of our head or just talk out of something we want to say. We're going to have to not say things until we get into the Bible and see what God said about it, about your health, about your finances, about your wife, about your husband, about your kids, about your job, about anything you do. Go see what God said in these 66 books. He told you something. And then say that. Talk like God. Boy, they didn't like that. I mean, they didn't like it a bunch. And chewed me up one side and down the other and told me how bad I was and how bad I missed it and so on and so on and so forth. Well, I apologize to them. I mean, I'm 16. You know, they're, they're you know... Been in the way for a while, so I thought that, you know, gray hairs should speak and wisdom of years should utter knowledge. I figured they must be right, must know what they're talking about and, and what kind of crazy idea did I have. So I apologize. And uh, after they left the church that night, I went to the altar, laid in the floor in front of the altar, and I prayed all night long, cried, prayed, repented. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I, I thought you showed me something. I didn't mean to blaspheme against you. Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Lord, forgive me. And uh, left it alone. And then a year and a half later, when I hit 18, I went to the jungles of Panama to be a missionary with this tribe that didn't wear clothes. And like I said, we had to shoot for what we ate or catch what we ate or not eat. And... Uh, I got sick down there. I got sick big time. I mean, seriously sick. I got yellow fever. I got, I got sores all over my body that ran pus and blood. And I lost weight. And my jaws were sinking like this. And my ears, my eyes were sunk back in my head. And, and uh, man, I was a nasty looking critter. And I got to where I couldn't even keep anything on my stomach. I had dysentery for over three months. And, uh, and got to where I just couldn't even take water. I mean, anything I took, I just threw it up. I just couldn't take anything. And uh, just was weak as I could possibly be. And, and uh, one day I was laying there in my hammock and, and just, just weak as water. And the missionary that I was with came up to me with a real worried look on his, on his face. And he said, son, he said, uh, I'm really worried about you. He said, I'm really, I'm really concerned as what to do. He said, uh, we need to get you to a doctor. He said, but you're too weak to go to the doctor. He said, as you know, we'd have to get you, put you in a canoe and take you seven hours up the river and then that would get us to the first village and then get you across another river to another village where the first road is and the first road we could put you in an old beat up panel truck and take you 50 miles into the first town where there's a doctor and he said you're just you're just so weak you can't even make that trip and i said well what are you saying what are you telling me he said well he said you know uh you're in trouble and i don't know what to do about it and I said, I said, well, what do you think it is? He said, well, I know you've got yellow fever. He said, I've seen that down here in the jungle lots of times. He said, your, your eyes are jaundiced and your skin's jaundiced. And he said, I know you've got yellow fever. And he said, tens of thousands of people have died here in Panama with yellow fever. And uh, he said, then you've got all those sores all over your body that's running pus and blood. He said, I don't know what in the world that is, but it can't be good. He said, but, uh, he said, but the immediate thing is, he said, you're not eating anything. He said, you're not drinking water. And you're not eating anything. He said, you just can't survive in this heat and for many days like that. And uh, I looked up at him and I said, I've got a disease. I've got yellow fever. 
He said, well, yeah, well, like I told you, that's not the, that's not the, that's serious, but that's not the immediate thing. And I said, well, if it's a disease, I can fix that. And I said about halfway up in my hammock and I said, the Bible says Jesus himself said, lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus and they'll recover. I said, so here's the hands. And I held my hands up like this. And I said, here's the sick. And I laid them on me. And I said, in Jesus name, I shall recover. And, and from that point, I began to gain a little strength. I didn't have an instant miracle. I didn't jump up healed. But I began that afternoon, took a little water. And then the next day, I took a little water, a little rice. And the next day, a little more rice, a little more water. And I began to gain my strength and come, come, come out of that. And uh, it came time very quickly then, just within a matter of a couple of weeks, my visa was expiring. I had to go back home. And then I was going to turn around and come back. And so I flew back into West Texas and... and uh, got into town on a Wednesday night and Wednesday afternoon and got church on Wednesday night. And I was a terrible-looking creature, man. I still had those sores all over me. I still had my jaws being like this and my eyes sunk back in my head and I was still weak. And my, my fiance Jackie, who was my bride then for 44 years, uh, met me at the airport and uh, she didn't know if she wanted to marry me or not. And I didn't blame her. I, I was, I, man, I was, I'm surprised the United States government let me in the country looking like I did and bleeding like I was. And... Uh, and, but it's, it's Wednesday, so I went to church Wednesday night. And I'm sitting back here about, oh, two or three seats back in like you are. And uh, the pastor said, oh, Brother Terry's back from the mission fields, and he about died, died for Jesus. Isn't that good? And everybody just clapped, you know. And, and, I'm, and I'm sitting there, and I crossed my legs, you know, just, just like you are here. And just the pressure of doing that burst one of those sores, and it began to ooze through my trousers were embarrassing you know and so i got up went to the bathroom cleaned myself up and, and uh, went on out to, uh, after service that night then jackie and i went out and i said to her i said you know darling i said uh, i'm going back to the mission field in two weeks and if that goes like this went then i may not come back and I said, and that's okay. Jesus died for me. I can die for him. I'm going to hang up with that. I said, they can just throw my body in the hole somewhere in Panama and no sweat to me. But I said, but it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right. I said, pastor said I did good. Church says I did good. Missionaries I was with said I did good. I said, I don't feel like I did good. I don't feel like I did good. I could have done so much more. Had I not been so sick, I said there were Indians, tribal people I was trying to reach. I couldn't reach because I was so weak and so sick. And I said that just doesn't seem right. I said it makes no sense. And I said everybody says God kills missionaries, and I said you know what? I, I don't even get that. I said God tries so hard to get people to go be a missionary, and then finally somebody says, okay, I'll go send me, and then they go and he kills them. I said that's just dumb. I said it's not military strategy. I said, no, no general kills his troops. That's, that's, I said, that's just, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. And she said, well, what, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you, what are you, what are you thinking? And I said, well, I said, you remember a year and a half ago when God, I thought God showed me something and I preached it at church and I got in so much trouble. She said, Lord, yeah, I remember. Because the pastor's her aunt and uncle, so she remembers really, really well. <clears throat> That's not just pastor. That's Unc and Aunt Betty. <laughs> and, uh, and she, oh, yeah, sure, I, I remember. I said, well, I said, they told me I was wrong. And I said, I'm not so convinced that I was wrong. I said, I think God may really have showed me something. She said, oh, don't start that. 
And I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be home two weeks and go back to the mission bills. I said, but in those two weeks I'm home, I said, I'm going to lock myself in a room and hear from God. And I said, if it takes the whole two weeks, I'll stay the whole two weeks. If it takes a couple of days, whatever it takes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hear from God. But when I come out of that room, I will know if God really showed me something or if I was nuts and if they were right or they were wrong or I was right or I was wrong, I said, you know, and I'll know how I'm going to live the rest of my life. And I said, if you marry me, then that's how you'll live the rest of your life. And so uh, I went and locked myself in a room, Got my, took my Bible, went and locked myself in a room, and went to prayer. And the Lord spoke to me. I had been in there very long, praying very long, and the Lord spoke to me in a, in a tone of voice that wasn't, didn't sound like he was very happy. And he said this to me. He said, uh, or I said to him, I said, I said, Lord, God, God, Father, you've got to talk to me. And he said in this tone of voice that didn't sound too happy, he said, I've been waiting for you to ask. And I said, well, talk to me. Talk to me. This is about the rest of my life. This is about whether I live or not. It's about whether I go back to the mission field and die or whether I, you know, serve you, you know, for a long time and help lots of people. You have to talk to me. And the Lord gave me five scriptures that absolutely revolutionized my life. They're all familiar to you now. I mean, they, they become the crux of the word of faith message and the word of faith people. Back in those days, you never, you never, ever, never heard them. And so I grabbed my pencil and paper, and the Lord said to me, he said, uh, he said turn to Romans 12, 2. So I remember I even answered him and said, well, I don't need to turn there. I know what that says, and I quoted it for the Lord. And he said, I said, turn to 12, 2. And I said, yes, sir. And I turned over to Romans 12, 2, and I read it out loud to the Lord. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your mind, that you may know or you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I, and I read it to the Lord. I said, well, see, it says just what I told you it says. I said, what's your point? I don't get the point. What's the point? And the Lord said, the point is you've got to change your thinking. And that kind of offended me. Because I've been saved since I was six years old. I mean, nothing wrong with my thinking. I've been in church all, all these years. Nothing wrong with my thinking. And I said, Lord, there's nothing wrong with my thinking. And he said, You're, you've got stinking thinking. First time I'd ever heard that phrase. Lots of people have preached sermons on it, written books on it and stuff since then because God says the same thing to lots of people. But uh, that just kind of offended me. And I said, I do not have stinking thinking. I said, that says don't be conformed to the world. I'm not conformed to the world. I don't think like the world. I think just like the church. And the Lord said, yes, you do. You think exactly like the church, and you need to change your thinking, and the church needs to change her thinking. He said, you don't need to think like the church. You need to think like me. That was one of those epiphany moments that when he said it, I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that's right. I didn't understand it, but I knew it was right. And I immediately said, Lord, you're right. I think like the church. I'm going to have to go back through the whole Bible and read it through your eyes and through your mentality instead of the church's eyes and the church's mentality. Because I knew what the church thought. I've been in church since I was six years old. I mean, you could ask me any question. I could tell you what the church thought about it. But all of a sudden, I realized that God and the church may not be on the same page. 
Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You renew your mind to what? Renew it to the Word of God. Not to tradition, not to religion, not to what Grandma said, but to, to God, what God said. And then he said, turn to Joshua 1.8. And I turned over to Joshua 1.8, wrote it down. He said, I told Joshua to do three things. And if he would do those three things, he would prosper and be successful. Now, I'd never heard in my church, I'd never heard prosper and be successful. I mean, those words weren't church words back in those days. Again, we're talking now 1968. And uh, he said, I told him if he'd do those three things, he'd be prosperous and successful. He said, if you'll do those three things, you'll be prosperous and successful. And anybody else will do those three things, they'll be prosperous and be successful. So, man, I ran over there, Joshua 1 8, and I read it and reread it and read it and reread it. I still read it today. I've read it 10,000 times 10,000, I guess. And he said, he said, I told Joshua to do three things to think like me, to talk like me, and to act like me. And so I read it. Let not this book of the law depart from out of your mouth. Talk like God. That thou, mayest, that, 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 that thou shalt meditate, or think like God, thou shalt meditate night and day. How often? Night and day. Nine day. That thou mayest observe to do, to do, to do, to be a doer. That thou mayest observe to do according to A.W.L. All, longest word in the Bible, all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt make, thou shalt have good success. And I read that and read that and read that and read that, and I said, talk like God, think like God, act like God. Talk like God, think like God, act like God. Talk like God, think like God. Act like God. Now, over in James, he said, be a doer of the word. But here, over here, it says, be a doer of the word. And Joshua observes to do, to do, to do. According to all that's written therein, then thou shalt have, make thy way prosperous and have success, good success. And I said this to the Lord. I said, can it possibly be that, how did I phrase it? I said, can it, can it possibly be that simple? And the Lord said this to me. He said, simple, yes, easy, no. And I said, what? Simple, yes, easy. He said, it is just that simple. You think like me, talk like me, and act like me, you'll get results like me. He said, easy, not so easy. Because you've got to train your head, train your mouth, train everything you do. You've got to rethink, retrain, and make yourself do this. I'm not going to do it for you. You're going to have to make yourself think like God, talk like God, act like God. It's, it is that simple. It's just not that easy. It's up to you. So that's the second scripture the Lord gave me. And the third scripture he gave me is Jeremiah 1.12. You all know that scripture. God watched it over his word to perform it or to hasten it, right? And so I begin to realize that God's watching. I mean, heaven's watching the earth, just watching for somebody to do the word. And immediately he gave me the example of, of, of the boys in the boat. And Jesus comes walking and Peter says, hey, that's you. Bid me come. Jesus said, come. And, you know, he, so, so it's one of those things of God watching. Heaven was watching. Don't you know heaven got excited whenever Jesus is walking on the water out to the boys and they saw him, thought he was a ghost. They got scared. So heaven's not too concerned about this. Then all of a sudden Jesus said, no, he scared me. And then Peter says this dumbest thing. He gets up and says, well, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. 
Now, can you imagine what Jesus must have thought? What? If it's me, bid him come. See, I've had people say to me over all the years, why did Jesus make Peter get out of that boat? Why did Peter get out of Jesus didn't do anything. He didn't have anything to do with any of that. Peter put Jesus on the spot. And Peter said, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. So Jesus said, well, if I don't bid him come, then he thinks it's not me. I've already told him it's me. I said, it's me. Don't be afraid. Now, if I don't bid him come, he's going to think it's not me. They already think I'm a ghost. So I have no choice except to bid him come. So don't you know heaven's just all of a sudden just kind of leaning on the edge and says, I wonder what this, I wonder what they're going to do. Do you hear what he said? Do you hear what he said? He said, he said if it's you, bid him come. What, what's Jesus going to do? Get ready, guys, because if Jesus tells him to come, and if he really obeys, he may or may not, but if he does, we're going to have to do something. If Peter doesn't do anything, if he just sits there like, like he always has, like everybody always does, but we don't have to do anything like we never do. But if he tries to come, we have to get busy. Now, I don't know if they made Peter light or the water hard, but they had to do, heaven had to do something. And so all of a sudden Jesus said, well, <laughs> it's me, so uh, come. And all of a sudden Peter stood up, probably to everybody's surprise, and stepped his foot out there on that water, and all of a sudden heaven had to move. And again, I don't know if they made Peter light or the water hard, but they made it where he walked on the water. But now heaven didn't do anything for the rest of those guys in the boat. Didn't do anything for them. Because they didn't do anything. Isn't that right? So God watches his word. Heaven watches his word. He's watching it today. He's watching you guys today. If any of y'all go out here today and do anything based on the word, heaven's going to jump and get involved. But usually heaven doesn't have to do anything. They're just watching all the time, watching, watching. Watching the word, watching the word, watching the word, watching the word. All of a sudden, oh, Chip's about to operate on the word. Let's do something. Hey, somebody's about to operate on the word. Let's do that. Oh, never mind. They didn't do it. But they're watching the word all the time to perform it, to perform it, to perform it. Next scripture God gave me is Psalms 138 and verse 2, where God says that, where it says that God's exalted his name even higher than his word. And I realized, dear Lord, God, God, God would never break his word. If he, if, he, if he broke his word, he'd become a liar. Satan's the father of lies. Jesus said in, Jesus said in John 8, 44, Satan's a liar. Amen. Titus 1 and 2 says God cannot lie. You can live your life on those two scriptures, man. Satan's a liar, God cannot lie. Satan's a liar, God cannot lie. Satan's a liar, God cannot lie. You can, you can live your whole life on that. Jesus said Satan is a liar, and then Titus says God cannot lie. What a deal. And then the last scripture the Lord gave me was Proverbs chapter 4, starting at verse 21 to verse 22. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear to my sayings. Incline thine ear, incline thine ear. Listen to my word, listen to my word. Incline thine ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. 
Let them not depart from your eyes. Well, when I was first learning that back when I was a teenager, I would literally grab my ear. I'd be reading the Bible, and I, I, I'd literally just grab my ear and say, Terry, get your ear in the Word. Get, 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 listen to this. Listen to this. Or some problem would come up, and I'd say, don't let this depart from your eyes. You know, see, Joshua said, don't let it depart from your mouth. Here, Proverbs said, don't let it depart from your eyes. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Guard them. Them what? Them words and sayings of God. Guard them in the midst of your heart. Why? Verse 22, for they are life. They, the words and sayings of God, they are life to those that find them in medicine or health to all all their flesh. Those, that's it. Those five scriptures, that's it. That changed my life. That, that changed my life. I came out of that, I came out of that room. I went to Jackie and I said, I said, darling, I got it. 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 I said, I'm going back to Mississippi. not going to be sick. Not ever going to be sick again. And I said, you marry me. We'll just go all over the world and do all kinds of things for God. And God will bless us. And not only will he bless us and keep us healthy, but we'll be prosperous and we'll be blessed. Now, she and I had had this little run-in thing because we was engaged. And so she'd, she'd talk every now and then saying, you know, I'd like to go pick out my China pattern. And I said, China is where you go. <laughs> We're missionaries. We don't have China. Missionaries don't have China. Missionaries go to China. When I walked out of that room that day, I, I said, you pick out all the China patterns you want. You can have one, two, five. I don't care. You can have them all. And, you know, we lived that way all these years. All these years, all these years, all these years, all these years. You know, just a couple of weeks or two or three weeks before we got married, Jackie came to me one day in tears. And, and uh, she said, uh, I, I've got to talk to you. She said, I can't marry you under false pretenses. Man, she's just sobbing. I mean, hysterical. And she said, I can't marry you under false pretenses. She said, there's two things about me that you don't know. Both of them will affect your life forever. And when you, when you know the truth, then you probably won't want to, want to marry me. And she's just crying and sobbing and crying. And I said, well, what, what is it? I thought maybe she's a bank robber. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and she said, well, number one, I can't have children. And she said, all I've ever wanted to be is a mommy. All my life I've wanted to be a mommy since I was a little girl, but I can't be a mommy. If I can't be a mommy, you can't be a daddy. And she said, I know you love children, that you want children, that you want a family, and I see how you are with kids and, and know you love kids. And she said, it just breaks my heart because she said, I can't, I can't have children. If you marry me, you're not going to ever have any children. She's just sobbing hysterically. And she said, and number two, she said, I'll be an invalid by the time I'm 30 years old and uh, in a wheelchair and she said you're you're going to be a missionary and travel all over the world and tell people about jesus and she said you're going to have an invalid for a wife uh, an invalid wife by the time you're 30 you're going to have to deal with so she said you you know both these things are going to affect you you may not want to marry me and i just looked at her and she's standing there crying sobbing hysterical and i'm i stand there looking at her and it just, it just made me so mad it just made me so angry not at her and i said uh, i said jackie who said? And she said, what? I said, who said those things to you? She said, what? I said, who told you those damnable lies? Who had the audacity to tell you that you couldn't have children? And who had the audacity to tell you you'd be an invalid in a wheelchair by the time you're 30? Who said? Now, see, there's a spiritual law involved here. You need to always find out who said Because people are talking all the time. 
You know, people come to you all the time and say, you know what they say? No, we don't know what they say. We don't know who they are. <laughs> we don't know who they are. We sure don't care what they say. Why in the world would I care what they say? Amen? Does that make sense to you? One of the biggest things you need to fight all the time is find out who said and find out if somebody talking has any effect on you or not. It's like you want me to listen to somebody in Hollywood. I don't care what those people think. Want me to listen to them NFL player. I don't care what he thinks. Go out there and play football. I didn't come here, you give a political speech. I came to watch you play football. I don't want to hear what Hollywood tells me who to vote for. I want you to get up and entertain me for a couple of hours and, and then, go, then go away. And I know people in the industry. I know spirit-filled, word of faith, good people in the industry, and I like them, but I don't like all those other folks. And I sure want to hear what they say. I don't need their advice. Man, I, I know what God said, right? And so... Uh, she said, well, Terry, she said, the, the doctors have told me ever since I was a little kid I couldn't have children. And she said, uh, you know, my parents, my grandparents, my church people, my pastor, she said, everybody knows it but you. And I literally did like this. I went, thank God. She said, what? And she still is crying, tears and snot running down her face. She said, What? And I said, thank God. I thought somebody with authority had told you that you couldn't have children or you'd be an invalid. Uh, she said, what are you talking about? And I said, Jackie, you know I appreciate doctors and nurses and medical science and medicine and hospital. I'm for all that. Thank God, thank God, thank God. I have a problem with any of that. Thank God. I said, but they're not my source. And they're not going to tell me something contrary to the word of God that God said. I said, I appreciate your parents, your grandparents, your pastors, your, your, your church people. I love them all, but they're not my source. And they're not going to tell me something contrary to the Word of God. You know, I said, I love, I love our pastors, Uncle Aunt Betty. I love them, but they're they not going to tell me something contrary to the Word of God. The Word of God is going to be the principal thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. And I said, girl, i got good news for you. She said, what? And I said, God said you can have children. She said, he did? And I said, well, of course he did. I said, God ordered children in the Garden of Eden. So they were his idea. I said, grandparents didn't think up kids. Parents didn't think up kids. God, God thought up kids. He invented them. They were his idea. He ordered them. The first spoken words of God the creator to man the creature was multiply and be fruitful. So that was a command. That wasn't a suggestion. And I said, Deuteronomy 7, verse 13, so I'll multiply the fruit of your womb. Verse 14, so there'll be neither male nor female barren among you. Psalms 113, verse 9, says God will take the barren woman, make her to, to, to be a keeper of house and a joyful mother of children. Psalms 123, verse, uh, Psalms 128, Psalms 127, verse 3, says children are the heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Psalms 128, verse 3, says my wife's a fruitful vine with the sides of my house and my children is olive trees around about my table. I said, if you marry me, you have all the kids you want. Because God said. Because God said. Because God said. Amen. 
And uh, I said, Ann, and I gave her a bunch of healing scriptures, so you'll never be an invalid, never be in a wheelchair. And uh, we traveled all over the world. We had four kids, eight grandkids, and uh, traveled all over the world. She told me a few years ago, she said, you know, I'm so thankful that you just made me believe the Word of God. She said, I'd have been without, without children all these years. I'd have been an invalid all these years. Couldn't have gone anywhere. Couldn't do anything. Doctor told her she couldn't travel in a car. Couldn't travel. Certainly not in an airplane. You know, the rest all of her life. She traveled all over the world. Man, I've seen her in Africa climbing, crawling witch doctor's huts and <laughs> get the wives saved. And just, all, just, you know, just tremendous, tremendous, tremendous things. But, but uh, we're going to have to make sure who said. What did God say? What did God say? What has, what has God said? See, the first thing the devil did came to Eve and said, Now, hath God said that really? Did God really say that? Now, hath God really said? And that's what he still does today. And we're going to have to look to the word, go to the word, put the word first place. Don't anything come out of your mouth, put the word of God, think the, meditate the word of God, do the word of God. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Are y'all here? Yes. Amen. In 1974, we lived in Mexico, and she had just given birth to our second baby. He weighed 10 pounds. She had him in 20 minutes, no stitches, no anesthetic, no pain, no problem. Her book on supernatural childbirth back there. We, we got so many, so many testimonies just this week, didn't we, Renan? Just this week, so many testimonies. We said, you know, we had painless childbirth. We had kids. We weren't supposed to have kids. I mean, we get those testimonies all the time, all over the world. And uh, anyway, so so I ran. I left her there, and in, in Mexico, we lived in Mexico, and I left her there with her mom. And we ran, I ran to the states and Houston, picked up an organ and PA system, came back, spent the night in a little town called Zacatecas, got up early the next morning, started to started to go from Zacatecas to Guadalajara to go home. And uh, just as I pulled onto the highway, I, I grabbed a tape by Kenneth Copeland and stuck it in the tape player on the integrity of the Word of God so Kenneth started preaching. And just as I pulled onto the highway, there was a man standing beside the road hitchhiking, Mexican man standing beside the road hitchhiking, so I stopped and picked him up. He got in the car. We took off down the, down the highway, you know, and I'm driving about 80 miles an hour on this straight, flat area before I hit the mountains. And, uh, and I'll tell you this and let you go, by the way. And... Uh, this guy's sitting over there, and I'm just driving. Kenneth's preaching, and I'm thinking in Spanish because I've got to talk to him in Spanish, so I'm getting my Spanish together to witness to him. And I turned to say something to him, and he reached in his coat and pulled out a pistol. And he cocked the hammer on the pistol, and he reached over and just shoved it in my ribs, hard into my ribs, and reached up with his left hand and caught me by the collar. So I'm driving the car like this, and he's got my collar pulled over like this and got the gun here. And uh, he screamed at me and said, I'm going to kill you. And uh, all this is in Spanish. Te voy a matar. And uh, so I said, I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I'm a man of God. I've got authority over you in the name of Jesus. You can't kill me. Amen. Well, it didn't make any sense to him. So he poked me at the gun again, yanked on my collar again, and he said, I said, I'm going to kill you. And I said, and I said, I'm a man of God, and I've got authority over you in the name of Jesus. You can't kill me. Well, we keep on going down the highway like this. Kenneth's still preaching. I just let him preach. I figured it was a good time, good time to hear it. And uh, he said, what's the matter with you? Aren't you scared? And I said, well, no, I'm not scared. I said, I've got the name of Jesus. All you've got is a loaded gun. I said, I win. Well, that didn't make any sense to him. 
See, the Bible says the carnal mind is an enemy of God, is an enmity against God or is an enemy of God. People in the world don't think like you think. But what you need to understand is that's not your problem. Just because you live in a different world and you think different thoughts doesn't mean you have to condescend to them. Are you here? See, spiritual authority is about you being in charge, you being in authority, you being in dominion, and uh, the rest of them can just get in line, line up, match up, or, or, or lose out. But that doesn't change the fact that you're in authority. You can't apologize because you're in authority and they don't get it. Amen? So I rebuked him in English, I rebuked him in Spanish, I rebuked him in tongues. And uh, he just kept poking me with that gun, yanking him, telling me he's going to kill me. I kept telling him, you're not going to do it. And uh, Kenneth's still preaching and then I'm praying. And, and, and I said out loud to the Lord, I said, uh, Father, Jesus said in Luke ten nineteen that he gave me power or authority, dominion, over all the power of the enemy. A-double-L, all the power of the enemy. And nothing, and I spelled it for God. I said, nothing, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, no thing shall by any means hurt me. And I said, that means this man, his gun, his bullets cannot hurt me. And I said, now if he pulls the trigger, I expect you to do something with the bullets for your covenant's sake. Not for my sake. It's not about me. It's about the covenant. I expect you to do something for your covenant's sake, for you're the faithful God that keepeth covenant. And so we went on down the highway and pretty soon everything I said to him just made him mad, made him mad, made him mad. And so finally he told me, he said, get off the road, just pull off the road. So I pulled off into a cornfield on the right-hand side of the road. He said, get out. And I got out on my side. He got out on his side and we met at the front of the car. I just had my arms like this. I'm just praying in the Holy Ghost, trying to hear from God. I don't know what to do. I'm 24 years old. You know, I got a wife and two babies in Guadalajara, you know, and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I don't know what to do except use the name, use the blood, use the word, use the covenant, use the name, use the word, use the blood, use the covenant, then do it again, use the word, use the name, use the blood, use the covenant, and just keep doing it until I win. Are you all here? You know, back in those days, Brother Copeland used to say, it's not a nine-inning ball game, you just keep playing until you win. Well, I'm just going to keep playing until I win. Amen. And so I'm just standing there leaning against the car, you know, and he said, uh, give me your money, give me your jewelry, give me all your stuff you got, you know, put it on the ground. And so I took all that stuff and put it on the ground, leaned back up against the car again, praying in the Holy Ghost. He came up and squatted down, picked up the stuff. Then he walked up close to me. And when he did, I just stuck my finger right up in his face, and I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And when I did, he hit me with that gun barrel. Man, he popped me hard, pow, like that, just knocked me back against the, over the hood of my car. And... Uh, then he put the gun barrel down on my forehead and he said, shut up. If you say one more word, I will kill you. I just pushed myself up off the car and stuck my finger in his face past his gun like this. And, and I stepped into him and I said, I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You can't kill me. You can't hurt me in any way. And when I did that, he just jumped backwards a couple of steps. We were nose to nose, but he just jumped back and he's close as I am to you right now. And just took the gun point blank range and shot at me five times. I counted them five times. And the bullets didn't hit me. Now, I don't know how God did that. I don't even care how God did that. In fact, that's been 43 years now, and I've never asked the Lord, how would you do that? I don't don't care. His job is to do it. My job is to believe it. Amen. And so uh, 
he just stood there and looked at me, and I stood there and looked at him, and he backed off a little ways, putting his hand in his pocket, got some more bullets, reloaded his gun, and uh, he said, start walking. So we walked off out in the cornfield a long way, maybe 100 yards or better, a long way. And he said, stop. And I stopped, and he said, take your clothes off. So I took my shirt and my pants and my shoes off. I'm standing there in a the cornfield in my socks and my underwear. And uh, he, said, he took my stuff, and he said, don't move, don't move. And he just turned around and walked off to my car, to get in my car. And I'm standing there in that cornfield, and, and, and he's walking to my car. And I said, Lord, I said, um, you just did a great miracle, and he couldn't kill me. And I appreciate that. But he can no more rob me than he could kill me. I said, this isn't a half-done deal. It's not that your word works on killing but not work on robbing. I said, he can't rob me. That's not right. Your word isn't half done. And this guy's still walking to my car. I guess I'm waiting for God to do something. Nothing's happening. And so I just cut my hands and yelled at him and I, in Spanish. And I said, I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, come back here. And he just, he just never broke his stride. He just turned around, walked straight back out there to where I was. T.L. Osborne, my dear friend, he's in heaven now, but T.L. used to tell me, he said, Terry, that's my favorite part of the story. He said, that proves you weren't scared. He said, most of us would be so glad to let the guy go, take the car, leave. At least God saved your life. He said, you called him back with his gun. And he said, that proves to me you weren't scared. I said, no, I wasn't scared. So I was mad, but I wasn't scared. And, uh, you know, T.L. used to tell my story and, and, and John Osteen would tell my story. And, uh, of course, lots of preachers. Brother Cole, everybody's told it. But, but especially T.L. and Oste, Brother Osteen. And they'd tell me, they said, Terry, when we tell it, it's just better. <laughs> I said, well, I know. I agree. Y'all are, y'all are the masters of the pulpit. I said, I said but, but when I tell it, it's true. <laughs> I said, you guys kind of embellish it here and there, you know. And you, don't, you don't have to help the Holy Ghost out when you have a testimony. You know, T.L. said, you know, when I tell it, I say, I say, and there was Terry, my friend, and he was buck naked in the cornfield. I said, yeah, but I wasn't. I had on my socks and my underwear. He said, I know, but it just sounds better. I said, sounds better to who? Brother Osteen used to have a tape he sold at Lakewood, and it was called God's Man of Faith and Power, Terry Myers. And all it was was me telling my story on one side and him telling it on the other. That's all it was. <laughs> Wasn't a sermon, just my testimony, turn it over, my testimony told by him. And his was so much better. <laughs> but mine was true. But anyway, I, I, he, he walked all the way back out there to where I was. And I just stood there praying and all because I didn't have a clue what to do. And uh, when he got to me, he threw my clothes at me. He said, put them on. So I slipped my pants and my shirt and my shoes on. And uh, he said, now, what is it you want to talk to me about? Like I'd made an appointment to talk with him. And I said, uh, I, said I don't want to talk to you about anything else. I said, I'm, I'm done. I'm going home. I said, you, you, you see you can't kill me. You see you can't rob me. I've got authority over you in the name of Jesus. And I said, I'm going home. And if you want to go home with me, you can. They have a saying in Spanish, mi casa su casa, my house is your house. I said, if you want to go home with me, you can. My house is your house. And I said, but I said, I've got a wife and two babies there. You can't take your gun. 
but I'll take you home with me and I'll help you all I can. And he looked at me and just shook his head. And he said, you know, I, I like you. <laughs> Anybody speak Spanish in here? Spanish, 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 Spanish. What he, what he said to me, he said, hombre, me cae bien. That's a more endearing way of saying, I really like you. And uh, he stuck his gun in his belt, and he said, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. I'm going to put my confidence in you. So we walked back up to my car together. When we got to the car, he pulled the gun out and stuck it in my belly. He said, uh, you sit in the back, and I'm going to drive. And I said, no, no, I told you we're not doing this. I said, my car, I'm driving. I'm going home. And I said, if you want to go with me, you can go, but I'm, I'm driving. Now, I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to give me my keys. So he put my car keys in my, in my hand. And I went around and got in on my side of the car, and I looked at him and said, you going? So he got in on that side. We took off, and I did what I intended to do a long time ago. I, I witnessed to him, told him about Jesus. And finally we got to a little place, a little crossroads, and, and uh, there was three policemen there at, in a car, uh, leaning up against their car, and they just had the car parked there on the side. And uh, he pulled his gun out, and he said, no, don't you do anything. He said, I'll kill, you, I'll kill you first, and as many of them as I can before they kill me. And I said, I don't need those guys. I've got the name of Jesus. I win. And he said, oh, yeah. And he put his gun back up. We went on down the roadways. Finally, he said, you know, I, I just can't go to Guadalajara with you. He said, I've got friends up in the Sierras, up in the mountains. He said, take me up there. And I said, okay. And so he showed me where to turn, and we turned on the dirt road. And I don't know how far we went. I didn't time it, and I didn't look at the odometer, so I don't know how far we went. But it seemed like to me a good half hour went by and, uh, up this windy mountain dirt road. And finally, I just stopped, and I said, hey, buddy. I said, uh, I'm going home. I said, I've only got enough gas to get home. I don't have any more money. I gave you all the money I had, but it's only $2. And I said, if I had more, I'd give you more, but I don't. And I don't have any money to get gas. And I said, so I'm going home. And I said, you can either go home with me or get out. And he said, well, I'll get out. And I said, okay. I said, I've got some stuff in the car that maybe you can sell and help you. So hang on just a second. So I went back, and I had bought Jackie a, a, a blow dryer and a, a curling iron and some stuff like that. And I gave it to him. I said, here, you can sell this stuff and, you know, help yourself out a little bit. And, and uh, so he reached in his pocket and pulled out my, my watch and my ring and my, my stuff. And uh, I said, oh, no, you can have that. And he said, you're giving it to me? And I said, well, you can't rob me. I said, I'd about give you most, most anything I got, but you can't steal from me. I said, tell you what you do. Give me back my wedding ring and, uh, and uh, my, my wallet with my driver's license and pictures of the wife and babies. And, and I said, you can have everything else. So uh, then I said, now I want to pray for you. And I said, the Bible says lay hands on people, so I'm going to lay my hand on your head and pray for you. He said, okay. And he pulled his gun out and stuck it in my belly. And I put my hand on his head and, <laughs> I put my hand on his head and prayed for him. And then when I finished that, then he said, uh, my mother's really, really sick. I said, you want me to pray for her? He said, yes. So he stuck his gun back in my belly, and I put my hand back on his head, <laughs> and I prayed for her. And then I told him where he could find me anytime he wanted to find me. We were having services that back in those days, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, at the Hilton Hotel in uh, Guadalajara. And so I said, you can find me there any Sunday night, and Sunday morning, Sunday night. And uh, then I went home. And, you know, that night he set up in the dark mountains of Mexico with a gun, the world system of authority and power, the equalizer and all that kind of stuff they call it. And I, uh, I, I was at home with my wife and babies. And it's because of the integrity of the Word of God. Amen. Renew your mind to the Word. Don't conform to this world, but be ye transformed. Amen. Talk like God, think like God, act like God. 
you can talk like God. Amen? Amen. So that message has done me well all these 50 years. Amen. And I could tell you many, many miracle testimonies. Those two right there were pretty decent. That God, God came through and did great miracles because of us talking like God, thinking like God, acting like God. Amen. Well, stand up with me. It's 12. No, it's not. It's 10 to 12. Are your beans set to burn at 12? Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to us by your spirit. Thank you for ministering to us today. Thank you for lifting us from natural realms to supernatural realms. Thank you for causing us to come up a notch, to raise the bar, to raise the standard, that we begin to think like you and not conform to this world. Don't conform to this world. No, we will not conform to this world, but we'll be totally, constantly transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we'll renew our mind to the Word of God, that whatever God said is right, whatever the Word says is right. Father, we appreciate people, we love people, we respect people, both loved ones, relatives, and professional people, but we're adhering to the Word of God. And we'll always check out and see who said, who said. What does God say? What does God say? And we'll think like God. We'll talk like God, we'll act like God, and we'll get results in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. We give you the glory, the honor, the praise. Father, cause this word to stay with us. Write it on the tables of our heart. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would bring to our remembrance those things that were taught. So, Holy Spirit, in the, in the days, weeks, months, years to come, as the devil sticks his ugly head up to try to interfere in the lives of this people... I ask you, Holy Spirit, to cause them to hear my words in their, my, in their ears. Who said? What are you going to say about it? Think like God, talk like God, act like God. And Father, that the Holy Spirit will rise up on the inside of them. Faith will come and they'll have miracles and do exploits. And I thank you for it. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. We give you the glory, the honor the praise and the majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just put your hand on yourself and hold one hand up to God where your help comes from. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I call the tangible anointing of the Holy Ghost of Acts to fall in this house. Healing. Father, you have healing in your wings. Healing. Healing. Anointing today, anointing, anointing, anointing. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage. Holy Spirit anointing, destroy cancer. Destroy AIDS and HIV and lupus and leukemia and whatever, whatever sickness that medical science has placed a Latin name on, destroy it today in the name of Jesus. Creative miracles. Miracles in our blood, in our cells, in our bones, in our organs, in our body. Miracles, Father, to the glory of God in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for that. Now, body, you line up with the Word of God. Come in line with God's Word. Be healed. Be made whole in Jesus' name. From your head to your feet in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, I believe you all day today. Lord, I believe that you deal with hearts and 
draw us back tonight, and I believe you for miracles tonight, creative miracles, signs, wonders, change people's lives. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for it. 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 Thank you, Father. Now, let me just lead you in a prayer of salvation, and then we'll, we'll go. But there's people listening on these CDs weeks from now, months from now, years from now. And they might need to be saved. People watching on the internet today or on live streaming today that could not be born again. If you're not born again, you need to understand that you're going to live forever. A lot of times Christians say, hey, if you get saved, you'll, you'll, you'll live forever. Well, you're going to live forever anyway. But you, you'll either live without God forever in hell or with God forever in heaven. I ministered a word to you last Sunday night on three missionary calls, a call from hell, a call from heaven, and a call from the heathen. If you didn't, weren't here, you ought to get a hold of that, that message and uh, understand that soul winning is what we're supposed to be about. We're Christians. We've got to rescue people. They're appointed to destruction. So everybody watching on, online and everybody listening on CD in days to come and everybody here in the audience today, just say this out loud. Say, Father... I come before you today to accept Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is the Son of God. He is my Lord. He was born of a virgin, lived on this earth as a man, died on the cross for me, paid for my sins with His own blood, washed me in His blood, made me a new creature. Thank you, Father, for forgiving all my sins. And saving me. Thank you, Lord. I'm born again. I'm a Christian. I'm a new creature. And I'll serve you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Now, if you prayed that for the first time today, you're here in the house and prayed that for the first time, then tell an usher or tell somebody. Make sure we know who you are because Christianity is about family. We don't want you to just fall through the cracks and get lost. Or if you're, you've prayed this prayer with me by listening on CD in the future sometime or on, on Internet today by, by live streaming, then contact the church. Contact Foothill Family Church and Pastor Mike Webb and let them know so that uh, they'll know who you are and where you are. Get some information in your hands. Get some scripture in your hands. Get some books in your hands. And, and uh, you, need a, you need a Bible, and you need a Bible-teaching church. I recommend this one if you're in the area, but I don't know where you are so They'll know, they'll know wherever you live. They'll know where there's a church to help you. So uh, let us know. Let the church know. Let Pastor Webb know. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Well, amen. Are you all good? All right, 6 o'clock tonight, I, I'm asking you to, to come back. And uh, I, I do have it on my heart to really minister healing tonight. And then, like I said, I'm, I'm expecting you'd be able to take that very message and take it and play it for people in hospitals and get them healed. Amen. Chip, come on and dismiss us or rescue these folks or...